0: And you can become part of our Discord community. Learn more about the show and find out how you can become a supporting member at thenextreel.com.
1: So thank you, everybody, for downloading and listening to The Next Reel. We appreciate your time and attention, and we hope you enjoy the show. One of the trailers I wanted to talk about is not actually a, um, it's not a movie trailer. So I figure I want to Uh talk to you about it now. Can we do that?
0: Sure. Is it a trailer for
1: It's a trailer for Daredevil.
0: Oh, the little TV, the 15 second thing?
1: No. What? No, I only
0: I only saw the teaser, the trailer teaser.
1: Oh, you <laughs> she... saw a teaser for the trailer of the teaser. Yeah, the trailer
0: for the trailer, right? Yeah, no, yeah, the the, the, the trailer's second. out. The the trailer uh-huh. so
1: you haven't even seen the trailer yet. But I it's haven't. it's uh, it's for the Netflix series Daredevil. Right. I don't know how we should treat these trailers. They're like hybrid, you know, trailers. What's a TV trailer? But it's not really even on TV. It's more like a 13-hour well, thir- film sp- sp- split up into episodes on Netflix.
0: Yeah, I guess.
1: Yeah, that's what it is.
0: So how was what it? What did
1: you think of it? Oh, you haven't seen it. I haven't I, seen it. I loved it. You didn't it. tell me Holy... to watch it. Well, I thought you just would. <laughs> yeah, I know. Uh, I really, I really liked it. I really liked it. You know what I think I like the best? I haven't, I can't quite get... A sense of the the uniform is always it's always dark. I don't know if this is like oh it's his first episode uniform and he eventually gets the uniform. But y- you know how Daredevil his uniform the devil head actually has eyes. Uh, right. It, there's no eyes. There's it's no just... eyes. <laughs> there is. I don't know why I started speaking <laughs> what, like what I'm was, a Russian Russian grandmother. <laughs> there's no eyes, <ice>, Andy. <laughs> Eat your beets. <laughs> uh, it's it's uh, there's no eyes in it and I think that's really great because, you know, blind
0: Yeah, right <laughs>
1: why, why would he do that? Never
0: made that much sense uh,
1: Yeah, yeah And uh, so anyway, it looks I, I think it looks really, really good
0: um, Is it going to be better than Ben Affleck's version? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I just had to bring that one up, sorry Yeah, it will
1: It will, I, I'm, it's, uh, it definitely looks better than, uh, than Daredevil, uh, Ben Affleck's version. It looks, uh, it's really gritty. It looks like he gets beaten up. So, you know, they, Mm. it it looks like they, at least in the, in the uh, trailer, they're really showcasing him kind of figuring out who he is. Uh, but mostly, it's just super, super dark, and I think that's one of the 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 most interesting things about what Netflix can do um, that that you don't get on, you know, for example, uh, Agents of Shield or uh, yeah. Agent Carter, um, which I think are both fine shows. I really, particularly Agents of Shield, this season is is uh, quite good, and uh, I've enjoyed Agent Carter. I like the the throwback of the uh, of that era of sort of Captain America lore and early Stark. I think it's really nice, um, but, man, Netflix can really go cinematic, and it looks like they're really putting their money—putting um, some money behind this show, because it it, it looks—it has a great look to it, and
0: I'm very excited um, about what well, they're bringing to it. And maybe what some of these stories need is not just a two-hour origin story yeah. in a theater, but maybe they actually need, kind of like a comic book— you've got this much longer story that kind of gives a better arc to the character and gives a better sense of their origin, of their character, of their backstory that is actually going to help make it a better story.
1: I think so, too. I, I really do. And I am I think the thing I'm most excited about with this particular iteration of Daredevil is that we are going to see him um, in—we're uh, uh, going to see how— a series handles a tentpole Marvel property, mm-hmm. right? Um, so it's not we we don't get the Agents of Shield that are the you know we you know sort of second string. We've never really heard of you, uh, except for Agent Coulson, obviously. But um, you know we don't get these sort of second string characters. Uh, yeah, we get we get Daredevil. We get one of the big ones uh, in a series, and I'm really excited to see how they flesh that out. So um, I think that looks great.
0: Well, I hope it succeeds, because I mean it, it certainly could open the doors for a lot of other uh different comic book properties that may need a home like this in order to succeed.
1: I think so too. And you know, we're already seeing I you know I I as a nerd I really love all of the comic book properties that are that are being sort of talked about right now and and um you know I've been really enjoying the flash uh, which is a has been sort of a spinoff of Arrow uh, on the DC side, and uh, apparently uh, David Ramsey, who plays uh, John Diggle on Arrow, is is um, looking at taking up. Uh, uh, looks like he's in talks to take up Green Lantern, um, so that could be another interesting. Um, I don't know if that's going to be a spinoff or if that's for um, uh, if that's for for the film. Uh, but he's a great character on Arrow, and so it's I I just love as a you know as a nerd, that I love all of this, um, all of this superhero stuff taken, uh, taken on uh, TV and screen, taking, taking flight, taking flight. Yes, <laughs> indeed. Taking shape, uh, uh, as it were, green, green lantern. Right. Yeah, you, you get, you get me, you because of the yes. power. Big,
0: ring. big green you things. Thing. Hammer. Yeah. Yeah.
1: You weren't a big fan of Green Lantern, were you? <laughs> the movie? No, the
0: character. Were you a Green Lantern kid? <laughs> I I that was one I never even uh, other than uh, Justice League of America the the cartoon show I knew nothing about Green Lantern so mm-hmm. as far as my world was concerned he was always Green Lantern and was never a, a person <laughs> outside of that <laughs>
1: well he was uh, he was very cool yes some of us are
0: you know bigger fans show than our I. allegiance yes yeah let's tell the people where we're from where are we from.
1: Hey everybody, welcome. It's The Next Reel, and I'm Pete Wright, and that there is Andy Nelson. Yo, and we spoil movies, and tonight on the show we've got another listener's choice with Jean-Pierre Genet's 1991 deliciously black comedy delicatessen. But before mm. we get <laughs> did your stomach just growl? It's I heard it. I heard it. <laughs> Before we get into that, you should learn more about us at TheNextReel.com. Follow us on Twitter and Facebook at TheNextReel. And if you're an Instagramma lamma ding dong, just like the hoods at Rydell High, you might want to join us at Instagram.com slash TheNextReel and play the Instagram hashtag pony prize. Hashtag I knew I could fit grease in this bit. Hashtag Sandy versus the people. Hashtag guess the movie challenge.
0: Andy, how'd we do against our flock of foes this week? That needs to be uh, your new thing. <laughs> <laughs> What movie can I fit in this week? <laughs> uh, right? It's, it's to Grandma, Ding Dong. Come on. That's genius. <laughs> You're a genius. I look forward to what you come up with next week.
1: <laughs> and the ad we do against the flock of foes this week.
0: Oh, the flock of foes. <laughs> uh, they were... It was a strong turnout. It was a strong turnout. We had some some good, uh, good options thrown out there as potential guesses this week. But... Um, it took uh, it took three images again, uh, just three. Just images. three, yeah. That uh, for Alexander C. Curran again to pop in and nail it with Sergeant York. Oh man, I know, I know. So he uh, he's he pulled it out of some secret bag he's got.
1: <laughs> I was wondering where you were going to go. Where? <laughs> what,
0: what? Where does Alexander C. Curran pull things from? <laughs> it's his secret bag of black and white still images. <laughs> <laughs> two weeks for alexander c curran that he's nailed it now that and uh the last two weeks now he's been entered into the pony prize drawing for 2015
1: outstanding and with that andrew let's do trailers <laughs> My trailer falls into our collection of uh, intriguing remakes that still probably don't need to be remade uh, even so producers uh, Sam, producer, uh, Sam Raimi and director Gil Keenan bring us a reboot of Poltergeist this year the film that s- is singularly responsible for a generational fear of clowns this
2: development was built on a cemetery this isn't just a few pissed off spirits we're dealing with the poltergeist.
1: We just want our daughter back. From the looks of it, Keenan's poltergeist stays reasonably true to the original. Uh, where it looks updated comes in the scares. The original is less horror and more thriller, and the balance appears to be flipped toward the intense... In this version, uh, I think. Gil Keenan doesn't have much to his credit. Monster House in 2006 is a clever kids' haunt that is super popular around my place every Halloween. And City of Ember, I've never seen, 2008. Um, So I can't comment on that. I do love Poltergeist. And this new version looks solid, even though it's already evident from the trailer that they've broken a fundamental element of the film. Her name is Carol Ann, dummies. (laughs) poltergeist (laughs) opens july 24th 2015 you're excited about it
0: you know i i am excited i i uh am a huge fan of the original poltergeist it's like you i feel like do they really need to be going back and remaking all of these uh classics from our youth i just i don't think they do but at the same time they're doing it I'm just going to kind of go with it, and, you know, I'll I'll be excited about it. I mean, I do agree with you. Why are they changing the names? There's no logic to it. it just, just you know, if you're telling the same story, then just, you know, tell the same story with the same names and everything.
1: It's an but, iconic name.
0: Yeah, Carol Ann. Uh, yeah, yeah, go into the light, Carol Ann. I mean, all of that sort of stuff is just, uh, it's it's important. And what is it, Madison?
1: Maddie, yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah. It's just, uh, ah, yeah, I don't know. I don't know about that, but... I still am excited about it. It. Uh, I think you're right. They get everything else right that's going on in the uh, in the trailer. It just looks creepy. The the clown stuff is terrifying. I think there was a quick shot of the tree mm-hmm. and uh, and the rope in the closet. The rope in the closet. All of that sort of stuff. I, I feel like uh, the the original one really kind of um, was using all of the latest and greatest technology of the time to make. To make it as scary as possible, and as long as I think they're doing the same thing now using today's modern technology to make it as as scary as possible, then you know I I think there's a good a good chance it's going to work.
1: I I don't know how they're going to uh, fill the shoes the giant shoes of the diminutive Zelda Rubenstein right uh, in this version. I don't know how they're going to do it, um, uh, but. Uh... But I'm I'm excited to see him try, and you know I didn't even mention this is Sam Rockwell uh, playing uh, the Craig T Nelson role, uh, yeah. And I, you know, we've talked a lot about Sam Rockwell on the show. I love Sam Rockwell. I'm excited to see him on screen. Um, so,
0: yeah, he generally I think is somebody I'm always excited for. So yeah, I've got I've got, you know, I'm I'm looking forward to this one, and uh, you know I really enjoyed the Evil Dead remake that uh, uh, Sam Raimi was kind of producing that came out recently. I'm hoping that this one can be something else that I enjoy.
1: Me too. All right, what's
0: yours? Mine is a new trailer opening up uh soon called Cut Bank, which uh it's a strange little name. Uh it's opening limited in April. I don't know how big it's going to get, but it's a it's kind of an interesting thriller. It starts off with a, you know, a guy and his girlfriend just filming out in a, I don't know, field of uh, sunflowers or something and all of a sudden they see the mail truck driving by and they see someone come up and kill the mailman and uh and and take him away and uh and they happened to get this whole thing on film as they were hiding in the flowers they report it and it turns into this this uh this you know big uh you know cop case trying to figure out what happened where did the where did this person take the mailman um, all of this sort of stuff. It looks like from the trailer that it turns into something where this guy filming was actually in on it with the mailman to try to get this uh, um, the reward for reporting a crime, and uh, and it looks like it's going to start backfiring. It looks like a really interesting crime thriller in a very kind of noirish vein. My
3: name's Cassandra Steely, and I'd like to show you my town full of cheer and want and kindness. Well, Derby. Ain't you become ever so handsome? What can I do you for?
2: Waiting on a parcel.
3: Here, we're surrounded by miles and miles. Wayne Hurd? Of wheat and canola fields. They murdered the mailman. (gasps)
0: It's got uh, Liam Hemsworth in it, uh, Teresa Palmer, Billy Bob Thornton, John Malkovich, Michael Stuhlbarg, Bruce Stern, Oliver Platt. It's got a, a great great cast. And uh, it just looks like a really interesting, modern kind of neo-noir. Matt uh, Shackman is directing it. I'm not very familiar with him. It looks like, though, he's uh, been behind a lot of TV, like It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, Revenge, The Good Wife, and um, some of Fargo, actually. So it seems like somebody who, you know, he's got a lot of comedy in there, but uh, may have a good uh, a good read on, on some of this kind of this darker stuff. So... Uh, it looks pretty good to me. I'm excited for it.
1: I, you know, seeing the when the trailer opened, I thought, oh, yeah, you know, you know, yeah, right. But uh, it, my goodness, this has an awesome cast, and i uh, I think it looks just really thrilling. I sort of feel like the trailer gives away a rather key point, or plot point, that I think they might might better have pocketed.
0: Um, Is that the the one the the reveal that he's in on it with the yes.
1: Yeah. Yeah, why 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 for no, why I, you do things like that?
0: I agree. I agree. Why why reveal that seemingly huge and important twist? Yeah, so in, we'll uh, see in the trailer. So I'm hoping that it's one of those stories that is going to have another twist at some point that kind of, you know.
1: It it helps better us. because that that's yeah. one that would have been really easy to <laughs> to not include.
0: Exactly. Exactly. Uh, in the exactly. trailer. That seems
1: sort of sloppy. What do you think it's like um Let's say Thanksgiving at the Hemsworth house. I did. I did not know. I
0: don't. They actually wouldn't have Thanksgiving in the Hemsworth house. Oh, I guess they that's live in true. Australia. They live in Australia. <laughs> what do you think it's
1: like? Uh, I don't know. What's a big holiday in Australia? I am so maybe Christmas. At this. Christmas. Let's go with Christmas. What do you think Christmas is like at the Hemsworth house? The, I did not know that they were that these were like Hollywood brothers. I don't think I've ever made the connection that Luke Hemsworth and Chris Hemsworth are Liam Hemsworth's brothers
0: yeah they are all bros and uh you know i bet uh i would think that they probably all give chris uh thor action figures i'm
1: sure <laughs> oh that'd be the best oh yes fun
0: times and uh, so then there's mocking would... day toys that they can they can give out and everything right
1: this is that's awesome i would i would love to be one of the hemsworth brothers just on christmas day
0: <laughs> just to see <laughs> Yeah, mom and dad must get lots of great gifts. Uh Uh
1: all right, when did you say when yours comes out?
0: It comes out in April. It's a limited release. It doesn't have much of uh much information yet. April 3rd limited is all I see for now.
1: All right. Cut bank. There we go.
0: Cut bank. Andy. Yes.
1: This is a job for the Australian. <laughs> Post-apocalyptic surrealist black comedy. That's a whole genre unto itself. Delicatessen, 1991. From uh, director Jean-Pierre Genet and Marc Caro. Before we jump into the film, this film, of course, comes as our listener's choice. And uh, to get us started, we actually brought the winner of our listener's choice uh, uh, onto the show. And so we should hear a little bit from the uh, the kindly... Lovely and talented Cameron Ryan, right now.
0: We are welcoming to our show uh, a listener and uh, the the Pony Prize winner from 2014, uh, Cameron Ryan, who uh, you know I think that she broke a record with the uh, the wins for the Pony Prize. I think she's had 14 wins, and so that was a. a th- I would oh, wow, say, really?
3: That much? Yeah, yeah. Cer-
0: certainly beneficial in, uh, in uh, scoring that win last year. So uh, kudos to you. Congratulations. As we learned, you're really good at architecture, architectural images from <laughs> so movies. What is up with
1: that? <laughs> Every single picture of a house or a building, you nailed it. Honestly, it's,
3: it's, I'm an idiot savant. That's basically what it comes down to. Um, <laughs> I have no idea. Literally, it? you can ask me... Uh, you know, five minutes before I I get home to go and step off and get milk, uh, can't remember that. But somehow <laughs> you flash a house and
1: <laughs> from a twenty five year old movie,
3: exactly. You flash a house, and all of a sudden it's like you know all systems go, and you know I I become Rain Man. So I, I don't even know what happened. <laughs>
2: but I didn't
3: even know that it was that many. Yeah. Um, I actually had uh, come on to the um, – I got Instagram kind of on the later side actually last year, and I think it was right after you guys had done Old Boy, which is one of my favorite movies.
2: Oh, okay. I was kind of
3: bummed that I actually didn't. I, 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 I'm kind of bummed I didn't actually join earlier, but, um, but anywho, uh, that's, that's around the time when I joined Instagram. And uh, started playing for the Pony Prize, and I get competitive about weird things. So
1: I assume you've started to receive a a lot of the movie trash that we've been sending through. My
3: swag, I have received. Yeah, I have received it, uh, and it's actually been uh, interesting. um, The things that I've actually been getting. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, yes, I did actually get the um, the film board, uh, the film foundation letter, obviously stating. Uh, The Donation Made in My Name, and also the two DVDs, uh, The River and uh, Senso, which I'm yet to actually watch, but I hear that we have snow coming my way, so um, Uh. I actually should be able to bunker down and and watch those. Uh, Chad Stoops sent a uh, DVD with a screen test of him as Joker, and then uh, David (laughs) Boyle, Surrogate Valentine. Yes, right, right. Yes. DVD of course, uh, I was not expecting uh, the action figures, <laughs> the Goonie Sloth. <laughs> Excellent, Oh, <and General> God. <laughs> Which, of course, I've been told by my guy friends that I shouldn't remove them from the packaging. No, that's critical. Uh, so yes, uh, so they're still in their packaging. Um, uh, Tommy
1: Handsome, where did Tommy Handsome send you?
3: Tommy Handsome. So uh, with every DVD, it was like a, it was like a, like a little, like a little. Present uh, in itself, only because uh, he left these fun notes uh, with, uh, you know, just Tommy Handsome musings. Uh, fun film board fact number one. Peter Wright was the first person to coin the phrase, that's so Raven. Love <laughs> it, Tommy Handsome. <laughs> I was so robbed, Disney.
0: Too. I, I had a yeah, coming up.
2: Ugh. I know.
3: <clears throat> fun film board fact number two. Steve Sarmento invented the ampersand and initially wanted to name it either the saucy S or the fancy end. (laughs) Love (laughs) Tommy Handsome.
0: I will say both of of those are better than ampersand. (laughs)
2: They're true. Uh,
3: Yes, they actually are. One of my favorites, actually. Uh, Fun film board fact number three. Andy Nelson didn't actually donate a kidney to a sick friend. Instead, he had it stuffed and it sits on his desk. He talks to it at night. (laughs) Weird, right? (laughs) (laughs) love tommy handsome i'm actually gonna i'm thinking about actually uh framing that one it's it's awesome it's so awesome especially
1: given given the movie that we're talking about
0: that's true
3: (laughs) fun film board fact number four despite his slow speaking voice mike evans is actually a nine-year-old chinese girl love tommy (laughs) handsome
2: oh
3: (laughs) Mm -hmm. and the last one fun film board fact number five Chat Stoops and renowned actress CCH Pounder have never been in the same room at the same time. Many have speculated that they are in fact the same person. Love Tommy Handsome. <laughs> I love that nice. he
1: signs them Love Tommy Handsome at the end of every <laughs> single one.
3: Just in case I had amnesia I... and just, you know, didn't know who these were from. <laughs>
1: Dude is adorable. That way I
3: can't pass them off my own music, of course. You know. <laughs>
1: We've been very excited to talk about this film and so glad that you got it on our list. Why was this film important to you? Can you tell us a little bit about your uh, relationship with Delicatessen? Uh,
3: Let's see, I I was actually in high school and I was working at a video store back when you actually had video stores. Uh, Part of my duties were to, um, you know, when it was slow to uh, to actually go through and you know dust the shelves and stuff like that, uh, you know organize um, the the movies to make sure that they're with the covers or with the D, with the VHS back at the, the day or the DVDs, um, and I noticed that this one kept sitting on the shelf in a foreign uh, you know foreign film section and it, it just didn't get didn 't get taken out a lot um and the cover itself actually kind of you know drew me in i I watched it and it was actually the first one that I actually had um, fallen in love with uh, like a like a, a foreign film um and that kind of got me into kind of like the rabbit hole of 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 foreign film um but uh, i I liked the, the 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 kind of like the the mix of you know possible danger with the whimsy uh the color palette. Um, and, uh, and it was just, uh, it, I, I don't know, there was something that just stuck with me. Um, I, long after I had watched it, I had stayed and I, I needed to like, you know, and I kept thinking about it. And that was, that was one of those things where it was like my the first love. Nice. Oh, that,
0: that's so
1: sweet. <laughs> so that's so
3: sweet. It's like nerd
1: sentimentalism. That really is nerd sentiment. <laughs> Delicatessen is is one of those funny, uh, funny films. It really is. It's a it is a, uh, a quintessential uh, black comedy. Uh, sort of defines it, it, it 's one of those that becomes a data point to continue def- to define the genre um, but the other thing that I think is so interesting about it is you, you talk about the color palette and the way the film just sort of works the the visual of of the film um, it It is really. Uh, it is uniquely French, I think. It really, um, it, it really speaks to the place that it comes from. What is uh, what's your sense as you fall in love with this film as as not just a uh, you know fiendish whimsy, but but a foreign film? What is that, uh, what did that do for you? Um, kind of going forward, did you find yourself exploring other foreign films, other Genet films? What's uh, how did that work?
3: That got me into um, Calvaire, which uh, is it was extremely dark. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it just went on from there. Um, and then of course I kept seeing some of the same French actors in different, you know, films. Um, I believe that, uh, I can't say his name right, but it's a uh, Dominic Pignon mm-hmm. was, uh, uh, has been in other, in other, you know, um, other films. Uh, the last time I think I saw anything in, with him in it was, uh, Alien Resurrection, which we won't talk about. That's, that, but yeah, yeah it's yeah. yeah. It's Andy's favorite. That... God, he loves that movie <laughs> so much. <laughs> oh yeah. Um, but yeah, you know, it was. But it's also interesting to see also the uh, relationships between men and women in some of these, uh, you know, foreign films. How you know it's, uh, women are treated. Um, as opposed to uh, in the U.S., where there would be a different dynamic between men and women. You know, an example being uh, that the, the men are pretty handsy with, um, you know, personal space, like the postmaster with uh, or the postman with Julie being so forward with her in that regard. Um, you know, I I, I did not see that kind of, you know, being one of those things that would fly in an American film without some kind of repercussion. So you know it was just it was just interesting to see the dynamics between relationships uh, you know in in those films as opposed to American films. Certain topics are uh, are are spoken about more freely there than it, they are here
0: yeah, and I think that 's one of those things that people always you know expect from foreign films, maybe which you know the, there 's that foreignness about them they 're like oh it 's a French film or oh, it 's an Italian film. We expect all that extra crazy uh sex talk and uh, the handsiness of the people or whatever and and it it's i don't want to say it's like a, a uh a free pass or anything but it's it's definitely one of those things that can pop up in those films that we just kind of okay well it's a foreign film i'll just go with it you know and and uh and that's also one of the interesting things about this film is it's i mean essentially about eating people which is its own unique, uh, you know, storyline that, uh, you know, I don't know if that uh, came across like more acceptable to U.S. audiences because, oh, it's just one of those crazy foreign films. Or if it's a, um, if it's just, you know, because of the the comedy element as opposed, I mean, this could have been a, a horror film, really, with all this, this eating of people and everything. But they really, it becomes this kind of this interesting post-apocalyptic uh, dark comedy, really. Um, but what's, what's your sense on the, uh, the, the, that element of it, kind of the eating of people, the dark, the dark humor coming from that rather than making it into a horror film?
3: Oh, no. I mean, I actually thought it was interesting that they even had a system on how to, you know, who to eat. Um, and the whole system actually, you know, was based on, you know, no one that actually lived in the building. Um, you know, it must be a stranger, somebody who's passing by and won't be missed. Um, and yet uh y- you know, <clears throat> it was really instigated by obviously the butcher, but it was one of those things where nobody else, you know, actually stepped up and said there was, you know, this is wrong or or anything like that. Um if anything they 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 saw it as, you know, yeah, well this is what we have to do to survive. Um so it was interesting that, you know, they all uh, somehow against their own, you know, trying to resist it, they all kind of fell in love with Luzon. You know, they didn't want to like him, but because they knew that there was going to be an end to him at some point, And, um. Uh, it ended up being the other way around
1: delicious <laughs> uh well this is a fantastic pick and i am i'm as i said i'm just thrilled thank that you uh, that you dropped this on us because uh, it is a great addition and i'm excited to do the whole show on it so thank you cameron for uh, for doing this and for being a part of uh, the next reel
3: thank you so much
1: guys <laughs> andy i love this movie I stink and love this movie. And you know what? I want to tell you something. I've, I've been waiting for a long time to tell you this. You give me a lot of guff on this show. Every time we watch a so-called black comedy that I say I don't like, you say, well, maybe it's because it's a black comedy and you just don't understand them. <laughs> <laughs> and I want you to know you're wrong about me because this is a black comedy and I love it. When have I ever said that every time you just <laughs> said it you just said it uh, wait, uh, uh, just week, uh, two weeks ago uh, we were doing the, the Lavender Hill mob and lady the Lady killers we were doing the lady killers and, and I said I didn't like it because it wasn't black and it wasn't very funny and you said well maybe because it's a black comedy <laughs> <laughs> I, it, it, huh? and I think this this is a black comedy that gets it right Man, it's it's threatening and funny. And people eat people.
0: <laughs> All of that. All of that. So so maybe they just needed to instead of the lady killers, it should have been the lady uh eaters.
1: <laughs> that would have see, that would have upped the uh upped the intensity, the stakes. There would have been some stakes.
0: Some literal, literal stakes. Literal stakes. <laughs> old lady stakes.
1: That could have been the other the the international title, old lady stakes. <laughs> Uh, uh, Grandma oh Tenderloin. <laughs> <laughs> Baba T Bone. Oh uh, man. I could go on all day.
0: <laughs> yes, you probably shouldn't though. <laughs> uh, uh, well, I I agree with you. I absolutely love this film. Ever since I first saw it, I, this was one of those uh artsy films that just it never played in a theater near me. Like at the main movie theaters, but I was in in college, and it played on campus. In kind of they they had the little art series of movies that would come through and play a couple different movies every week. And I remember seeing in the ad for this one, Terry Gilliam presents, and I was like, oh, well, hey, if Terry Gilliam is is uh, uh behind this one, then maybe I should go see it. And I went and saw it, and. um true to form, it very much is something that uh, would kind of jump out of Terry Gilliam's head. I think he was uh, right to kind of get behind this and uh, the City of Lost Children, their their follow-up to this, as and and just kind of help them get a release over here in North America, as limited as it was. But it certainly is the thing that got me to go see it, and I instantly fell in love with it, and I've loved it ever since.
1: Absolutely. I want to start... Boy I you know you that Terry Gilliam connection is spot on that is the first thing I thought that this is Brazil with cannibalism, mm-hmm. um, and I just adore that mashup the uh, I want to start with the visual language of the film uh, this film is uh, was shot by uh, Darius kanji we 've talked about uh, kanji on the film before when, when did we talk We talked early on we talked about alien resurrection. Uh, well, a
0: number of David Fincher films. Too. A
1: number of David Fincher films: Alien Resurrection, Panic Room, uh, Seven. Um, so we've—it's been a while since we've talked about him. But um, can you reflect a little bit on how you would define the visual language of this film?
0: It's uh, it, well, it's absolutely one where uh, they not just not just with the DP, but also with the uh, the production. Uh, the production design team, the color palette. um, It has a lot of the oranges and just kind of everything looks rusted and decayed. And I think that was something that they all really wanted to go for in creating this film was to make something that looked very um, uh, that did look decayed in in this post-apocalyptic world. They wanted something that, that had that feel. This is something where Darius Kanji uh, initially started looking into the bleach bypass process that became very big through him when he did it in 7. Um, in the in the case for this film, it wasn't quite to the extent that they did in 7. He only used about 50% of the bleach bypass. I think that they were afraid that it was taking too much of the color out. And so... Um, what they ended up doing when they designed the sets is actually they boosted the colors on the sets and then they did the bleach bypass, dropped it by 50%. So that kind of left some of that uh, that color palette in there. And then they also did a, uh, they flashed the negative with a, uh, I believe it was a Vericon uh, machine that uh, Aeroflex makes. And what that does is that actually reduces the contrast slightly. And um, then they were also, when they were doing that, they were able to, put some different filters on it uh, that can help color the shadows of the negative. So they really, really worked hard to create this colorful world that was very muted and rusty feeling in order to really give us a sense of this this place and i mean we talked about it on the show all the time This sense of world building and how critical it is and when it works and when it doesn't this is a, a a wonderful example of a story we don't get a lot of the backstory we don't know what happened we don't know how this world ended up in this post-apocalyptic place that it's in what we do know is that uh it has uh this backstory it has a sense of place Within the story, as far as the the troglodytes, this underground group of rebels that are stealing food, we know food is, uh, there's a huge shortage on food. And we really focus on this one building and their struggles to eat, basically, and to find food to survive. And just through that limited bit of information within the context of the story and this amazing look that they've created, we have a full-fledged world that is incredibly easy to buy into.
1: I absolutely agree, and I love that the um, you know the story of the troglodytes. They don't go into it all that much, like you say. There's no real backstory, but it feels like a backstory because they play such a relevant uh, a relevant part in the a story of this film. Um, from the very first establishing shot that we get of the actual building, uh, the this just sort of bombed out building. Uh, um, we get a sense of the scope of the world that we're going to visit, and we don't ever get to go beyond that. Beside that, hi- besides that high angle shot where we look down uh, from the front door, uh, from right above the front door of the delicatessen onto the street, we just get probably what a, it looks like about a sixty foot area of of the street below, and that's all we that's all we get to explore of this of this world, and uh, and yet it still feels really. Uh, rich and and full uh, as a result of what goes on inside the building and underground yeah. i just i just love it i am really uh, really enthralled by this film I love what the uh, you know you define the color palette i mean really is it's like hyper monosaturated as a result of all the whiz-bang technology they use to do it 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 this orange palette um, it it lends to that oppressiveness, but when it when you really notice it, is in the very last shot of the film when um, when our two main characters are sitting on the roof playing their respective instruments, and we finally get blue,
0: right? Blue sky finally comes yeah. in,
1: and it's it is shocking in such a simple, uh, sweet scene. It is visually jarring to see the blue as it enters this orange and the clouds part. It's amazing. It is amazing.
0: Yeah, and and very fitting in in the context of this film, uh, where it's so bleak for so much of it. And uh, I think at some point somebody says, oh, you know, the winds are changing, something like that, which I think is very fitting for this stranger coming in who's going to shake things up a little bit within this world.
1: So the film, uh, you know... The setup of the film is uh, pretty straightforward. The, as you said, there's a shortage on food. Food has become—meat uh, in particular has become a currency, and the butcher is um, the consummate sort of mob banker. And uh, in order to keep food flowing, he has an ad placed in, uh, in a local circular at the post office, and it advertises for uh, self-help or help around the house. You need somebody to come and do uh, labor. He gives them a nice room, he feeds them, and uh, in exchange they do labor uh, around this hotel. And the plot uh, of the boarders and the mob butcher is that these people will come in and at night there will be some noise on the stairs and the lights go out and the butcher will kill the handyman and then butcher him up and serve him. From his butcher shop to the people who live there, is that
0: about mm-hmm. cover it?
1: Is that about cover it for you?
0: That <laughs> covers it. That's about what happens.
1: Uh, and so you know, we we see the the thrill is in uh, you know it opens uh, with a uh, a the escape of a, a handyman the attempted escape of one of the handymen and this is a wonderful bit where he is taping trash to his body He's trying to cover himself in trash and hide disguise himself as trash and be thrown out as the trash people come by uh and the uh, the you know when you look at the the image that I think a lot of people associate with this film of of the the lid opening and these eyes, these giant eyes with this big wide angle, uh, peeking out from the. It's sort of the uh, the Oscar the Grouch look, you know, at the the trash can lid opens up and these eyes are peering out, and then the the butcher sees him, and uh, the maniacal grin happens, and this beautiful cleaver comes down, and and uh, that's how that introduces us to the credits. Yeah in the opening scene of the film it is a great way to open uh and and set up the the mania of the butcher and the the joy that he gets in his uh uh in his job uh, the butcher is uh, played by Jean-Claude Dreyfus clape and uh, i think he's just a scary scary dude we've seen him we haven't talked about him before i don't think but he's in another one of my very favorites uh 1995 city of lost children
0: yeah Another great movie. What did you think of the butcher? Yeah, I think you're right. He's uh, very well cast. He's intimidating. You're, I, I think comparison to a mob boss is spot on. He very much feels that way, where he runs the roost here, and and he, you know, I mean, he's the one who does the killing. He does the butchering. He gives everybody their food. They pay him in lentils or beans or corn or whatever it is that they have scraped scraped by with, and Yeah, I think there's something with uh, just his presence that is perfect for an antagonist.
1: And he, over the course of the film, we see his intensity grow, even as he doesn't necessarily um, change, right? There's no no redemption in his character over the course of this film.
2: No. But,
1: But his sense of the sort of magnification of his mania is fantastic to the very bitter end. And it is one of the best, uh, I it, for me, it is one of the best, most memorable uh, deaths of the antagonist
0: of <laughs>
1: any film that I, I carry. It's easily in the top five deaths of the antagonist uh, series for me.
0: Uh, yeah, that, it's, it is a pretty fantastic one with the Australian and everything. And just, yeah.
1: What is the Australian?
0: The Australian is this fantastic... I mean it's almost straight out of crawl it's like this this crazy <laughs> knife that uh, Louison our protagonist has it's uh it's like a, a one handle with three blades uh, protruding and and you know he's he's a former circus performer so he's just got this weird sense about him and and strange things like this knife called the Australian and he uses it to rescue um this other woman's uh, panties from from a light post <laughs> where they're hanging uh, after these kids who are trying to fish it up for their own enjoyment. They accidentally drop it and it lands on this, uh, this light pole. He pulls out the Australian and throws it. And it's basically like a boomerang. It's this knife. It's a boomerang that <laughs>
1: defies all laws of physics. Right,
0: it, it, it would never work. But he throws it; it spins around, and he co- it comes back and catches it. And of course, it works well for him because he knows how to use it. But it doesn't work so well for our antagonist when he tries it.
1: It does not. He tries it. He tries to throw it at our protagonist, and uh, it's, it barely, barely misses the protagonist. Then it boomerangs back and lands squarely. Uh, in uh, Jean-Claude Dreyfus's uh, forehead. Yep. Ouch. And it embeds itself deep, deep, deep into his brain. But it does not kill him immediately, uh, and he is able to go ask all of his cronies, do I I have something on my head? (laughs) Which is just, I am am laughing out loud at that point. It's really uh, a great
0: bit. Yeah, it, uh, it just looks so painful.
1: It really, really does. Looks, It, it is great. Um, okay, so let's talk then about our protagonist. Uh, he, we've yeah. seen him before. Uh, Dominique Pignon plays Louison. Uh, and we have talked about him. Uh, we talked about him more than once. I think just Alien Resurrection, right?
0: Yeah, I think unfortunately just uh, Alien Resurrection. We, we should at one point do Amelie, but uh, haven't quite gotten there.
1: We really should. The guy's got 153 credits to his work. Most of them, obviously, very, very heavily French. But what a fantastic face.
0: Yeah, he is... uh, The fact that he's a former circus performer works so well because his face is this strange, uh, almost like this clay, malleable face that just kind of got squished down a little bit or something. There's something about it that just always... I find just him so fascinating to watch and uh and he does and actually he says that you know before this film, this was really his first opportunity to play like a love interest before this. it was always killers and things like that because he did have a much different look that normally people wouldn 't cast as your protagonist, but I think there is something so uh charming about his peculiarity and it works so well in context of him being a circus performer. And then he does these things like he pulls out these bubbles and does this little uh, dance with these bubbles, with these kids. And, uh, you know, he is, you know, doing his little thing where he's practicing for another act and he's got the cleaver in his head and just everything that in playing the saw, I mean, come on, that's just one of the strangest instruments that somebody could, (laughs) could pull out and play. And uh, And yet so beautiful, so beautiful, so charming. And it just I mean, all of these things add up to uh, just element after element uh, reasons that you should just fall in love with this character.
1: It really is. It's one of these things that that I think what what he does so well with this character uh, is is provide us the love of contrast, right? And, there, and I should say the the writing credits on this film, obviously uh, Jean-Pierre Genet, Marc Caro, and, and Giles uh, Adrian, um, are, are get the writing credits on this film. The character is so brilliant for me because of the uh, of the contrasts that we get, right? We get a saw, which is a a violent instrument it, it is an instrument designed to rip things apart and yet for him it is an instrument of the sweetest most lilting sound that he plays expertly um we get him you know his his look is is a, a little odd it looks very circusy and yet he comes across as one of the sweetest most gentle people when when he uh, he's painting the ceiling he, he can't reach a certain spot on the ceiling, and so he takes off his suspenders, this these like old, broken-down bit of clothing, and he manages to turn them into a, a sort of rubber-band suspense uh, a tool that allows him to bounce out and, and get the the far reaches of the corner of the ceiling. It, it is this... that exercise in contrast, you already brought up, the cleaver in the head bit, as he's trying to, to work on a new act. Even as the world has fallen down around his ears, he is still working on a new act of of charm and cleverness for the circus um, because there is in the face of catastrophe hope in this odd little man and i find that so endearing and i think in this film it fills such a great hole with such light
0: yeah it really i think you're you're right the whole idea of the contrast in this film really does play uh, right from the beginning really i mean it's a it's an interesting world that we're introduced to that is very, uh, everything does seem kind of backwards. And it's like, if you're looking at ups and downs and heavens and hells and all that sort of stuff, you've got the good guys living underground and the bad guys living above ground. You've got, uh, when he goes in into his room the first time and turns on one tap, it turns on the other spigot, and then he turns on that tap, and it turns on the first spigot. So everything is kind of backward. And so the fact that this is this, this stranger from the outside that comes in and uh into this dark hellish world and is able to bring so much light um i think that he is the perfect casting choice and just a brilliantly written character to do that for this story
1: you know i you bring that up uh, the uh, the guy living in the basement uh with the snails and frogs oh yes uh, I, I, maybe I missed it. I don't have a real sense of his uh, role apart from, you know, being just another character in the place. But uh, speaking of contrasts, again, the world is falling down around their ears. And here is a guy who feasts on one of the, you know, I should say now stereotypically quintessential delicacies of France every day, uh, you know, snails, right? He's snails and escargot, frogs. snails and frogs, <laughs> and, uh, and he's doing so in, in, uh, disgusting, just filthy, awful environment. But it is, you know, that contrast, again, is like, look at this guy. He's He is living in um, absolute uh, uh, ecstasy, culinary ecstasy, um, which <laughs> I, I think is really brilliant. And back to, to Darius Kanji, I mean, what other filmmaker do you, or what other just sort of uh, cinematography do, cinematographer do you know that could expertly do a low angle on a frog? I mean, that is one of the things I love so much about this film the low and high angles that he uses so often in just his placement and movement of the camera and they play with the stairs and they play with the you know the 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 lights and and then they get down into this basement and he actually is able to make us feel like we are beneath a frog and I think that is so cool
0: yeah it's 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 skill that man has mad yeah. cinematographic skill
1: I like it when you say cinematographic right?
0: <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Julie Clape
1: is the uh, daughter of uh, Clape, the butcher, uh, played by Marie-Laure Do- Donac. Yeah, Dunac or something. Dunac. My French is terrible. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so is mine.
1: She <laughs> is. Uh, she is lovely. She has not been in all that much, but my goodness, she is a sweet, sweet love interest.
0: She really Hormisant. is. She's very easy to fall in love with. She's kind of that. Uh, that quirky. Um, uh, nerdy girl that uh, you just kind of easily fall in love with in these sorts of movies. You know, they, they take off their glasses and they're a beauty. <laughs> it's a little <laughs> bit stereotypical, but uh, but she does it very well. But
1: at least she can't see when she takes off her glasses. That's true. You know?
0: exactly. there, again, with another contrast. Uh, yes, indeed. Apparently, she is very big at, um, at uh, specializing in the dubbing of English films into French. So she's actually played... Uh, uh, Joy Lauren, Lauren Adams in Big Daddy. She did Heather Graham in Killing Me Softly. She did. Uh, she played Liv Tyler as Arwen in Lord of the Rings and in The Incredible Hulk when she was Betty Ross. She's just somebody who specializes in doing that for a lot of these uh, uh films that end up playing over there in France. So that's kind of a, a funny little thing to do.
1: That's funny. Now that I think about it, she's got a very nice voice.
0: She does. It would work very well as Arwen.
1: Um, she is, uh, she ends up taking on a bit of the hero role as she goes down to, she knows that the plot is happening, uh, and, uh, of, of her father's to, to kill the handyman.
0: Who she has fallen in love with. Who she has
1: fallen in love with. And she takes it upon herself to, um, uh, initiate a rescue attempt. And so she leaves the building late one night and she scurries down, Through the manhole cover in the street into the depths of the sewers of France, and introduces us to the
0: troglodytes. Now, who are the troglodytes, Sandy? It's just like this interesting little, like you know, rebel movement. uh, This insurrectionist group that lives under the uh, the the streets and. I don't really know a whole lot of what they do, but they obviously are causing problems. They, uh, I, I think people feel like these guys come up and, and attack people and eat people, and they're all wary of these guys now. Um, but these guys, I think, are also just this this rebel movement. I mean, I guess you could say they're just kind of criminals because really what they're trying to do is find food and forage like everybody else. And, and they set up this deal with uh, Julie to steal all of this uh, corn... And uh lentils and stuff from her father, the butcher, um, in exchange for them rescuing uh Louison from their from her father's clutches
1: which i and that's another relationship that I love because we have um you know we have these troglodytes who are, uh, you know, they live underground, but when we finally see them, they've been set up as terrorists. You know, right, the press, right. all the articles in the press sets them up as terrorists, that they come up, they kidnap and eat people. But it turns out when we hear their story, they're the ones that are afraid of being taken and eaten by the butcher. Right. Uh, and uh, and so it makes for a, a nice uh, partnership between Julie and the Trogs as they initiate their rescue.
0: And again, going back to world building... The fact that all of these guys uh, have these costumes, I guess, fitting for people who essentially are living in the sewers, they look like... You know, just really intense uh, rain slickers is what they're wearing. You know, they've got all of this this like heavy rubber rain gear on, and it's not quite scuba diving sort of clothing, but it it definitely is kind of just that that rubber stuff to just keep them dry. And they've got the little hoods on and the funny goggles and everything. They really do. um, uh, The filmmakers really worked to create a really unique look for the troglodytes. So in a sense, they almost look like strange monsters
1: they do they do well again this goes straight to the terry gilliam connection i mean this is where i mean for me they're all robert de niro's living underground
0: exactly and i I, knowing that brazil was a big inspiration for these guys it's completely fitting because uh yeah because the whole uh the idea of these terrorists who aren't really terrorists um, but in these funny outfits completely harkens back to robert de niro in that film
1: Upstairs, we have the the family uh, that that lives up there. This is the uh, who is it? The tapioca
0: family. Yeah, Tiki Olgado is the dad.
1: Tiki Olgado and Emery
0: Pisani. Yeah, and then grandmother and- Edith Kerr. Which I there's this is a, a, a great film where, uh, like Sergio Leone, who also was a big influence, somebody who could cast amazing faces and just found beautiful. Um, Faces that just these wonderful landscapes um, of of people's faces to to put in front of the camera. These guys worked really hard to just find amazing faces all through the story to put in here. Grandmother's face, even though she doesn't really say anything, although she's got a great scream. Um, another wonderful character that is just thrown in there, and then uh, Tiki Olgado and his wife are just a, a great pair as they're always struggling to uh, t- to get uh, you know get their children fed. And uh, the fact that you know he's got this one condom that they have been <laughs> <laughs> keep using patching. time and time again that he's patching with his his bike <laughs> bike patches. <laughs> I mean, it is just that's priceless sort of humor. Really, you, is you know
1: what I you know what I love about their function in the film. Too, yeah, we we see a number of other characters, right? We see uh, the uh, the guys who are making the little man boxes, whatever, the whatever those cow, are. The, cow, the little man, cow yeah.
0: noisemakers, yeah,
1: yeah, right. The cow noisemakers. We see even the the tapioca kids. Uh, we see you know we see a number of these characters in the film, and uh, all of them have their own sort of function. But the tapioca family serves to demonstrate for us the level of hunger. They're like the hunger barometer. Right. Right? And and I think that ends up being really really useful um as we see because they allow us to see how desperate everybody should be in this building. The hungrier they get, the the crazier the butcher gets, the crazier his sort of gang of thugs gets as they uh, as they try to uh, to finally entrap the the handyman and so crazy in fact that that uh, Tiki Elgato uh, actually stages the the scene so that the butcher can capture um, the grandmother, and and they end up serving her um, along with the leg of one of the little sound guy makers. Um, yeah, Rufus. Rufus's leg uh, as he tries to rescue her. So um, you know, it ends up being I think a really useful function in the film to give us a sense of where we should, how we should, how hungry we should be feeling
0: yeah very true uh, it, that's a that's a a good point brought up because i mean i will say the butcher there is this point where the butcher seems a little more content than he has been in the past with letting this this handyman stick around a little bit longer because people keep asking why is this guy been it's been over a week why is he still here we need to you know get Get moving here, but he's just like, oh no, he still needs to finish the ceilings and all this stuff. And he seems, for for whatever reason, a little more inclined to let this one get a little more work done and stick around and live a little longer. But it's at that point when, when, uh, uh, yeah, Marcel and uh, the head of the tapioca family is finally like, look, we've got, uh, we're starving here. Let's let's get a move on. Uh, that things get rolling again. So it is a very key uh, key f- uh, point in the film.
1: And it also allows us to see that they're willing to break their own rules, right? They have rules around who is going to live, and, and the tenants in the building, they're the ones that get to live, uh, the ones who have been there all along. Uh, but here we see that, that they have gotten so desperate that they're willing to sacrifice one of their own, which changes the, the nature of, of the rule set in the house, yeah. in the
0: building. That's a great little bit when um, uh, Marcel's wife is just like, I didn't even get to say goodbye. And he's like, well, let's go do that now as they walk out holding a, you know, a flank of steak wrapped in paper yeah. of her <laughs> to go up to their room it's and eat. so
1: dark. <laughs> And, and I'm, you know, what is your sense when Roger and Rufus are talking, you know, we just discover that, that Rufus had his leg cut off in the rescue attempt and he's describing, he says, Oh yeah, he was so, he was so kind to the butcher. He, you know, he he was so nice to me as he took my leg. Uh, And, uh, and Roger like tosses him up wrapped package of meat saying here you go i mean do you think he's eat, he's saying we're going to eat you we're going to eat your leg now or was that part of grandma like
0: oh <laughs> it's i don't so know so dark it is so dark at that point you know i i don't think these guys can even really judge about that cuz it's just yeah. all so wrong <laughs> and
1: as far as we know i mean we know, we don't actually see rufus eat again uh, he's he gets pretty depressed
0: he does get pretty depressed yeah,
1: pretty grim his... Uh, he is in love.
0: Yeah. <laughs> with Aurora.
1: Aurora Intelligator. And she uh, played by Sylvie Laguna. She's hysterical.
0: The Just the the brilliance of uh, coming up with this strange... I, I don't know what was uh, Roger, what he was thinking. Because uh, it's revealed later that he has been whispering into the pipes trying to convince Aurora to kill herself. And I think it's because... Uh, Roger knew that his brother Robert was in love with her, and I, I don't know if he felt that he was going to leave, if, if uh, you know, or if, uh, if it was just going to go down a, a direction that it shouldn't, or what. But he was trying to convince Aurora to kill herself. And the scheme, and so she thinks that these, these ghosts are talking to her, and, and the schemes that she comes up with to kill herself are so funny. It's just these strange Rube Goldberg uh, suicide attempts that never end up working out, but uh, my goodness, they're all just so funny.
1: They are wonderful, particularly the last one. All of them... Have the ability to kill. Like she has all the tools to kill herself instantly. Like she doesn't need to go through the Rube Goldian, uh, Rube Goldbergian uh, mechanics to actually make this work. But the last one I think is the most blatant, as she has a gun, a, a shotgun. Uh, angled on a chair pointing at her head uh, the shotgun is tied to uh, some other contractions she has uh, a noose around her neck and she's standing on a chair and she's got the gas on and the oven open and uh, <laughs> the can and she's and all of these things happen and and a full bottle of pills and a glass of water and she's standing there waiting for for, for her you know, husband she, to open the for door for her husband to open the door right uh, and everything goes wrong and you think how is it possible that all of these backup attempts to kill her would fail at the same time the shotgun goes off it shoots the rope of the noose she falls over she closes the the oven she the pills she puts in her mouth but as she falls they jolt and all the pills fall out of her mouth i mean everything fails it is it it is uh really i mean talk about uh black that's the that she is one of the great sources of the black comedy part of this of this black film that she is she makes suicide laugh out loud hysterically
0: funny it is a riot, and, and then of course, in the end, it does succeed because when her husband turns the light switch on, it sparks, and all the gas in the room all the gas blows up that entire floor of the complex, killing them both. Which which uh,
1: sort of starts the or, or I say I should say accelerates the uh, the toward the climax of the film. At this point, the butcher has gone bananas, uh, and uh, it's all it's all out. That he's going to kill the handyman. The handyman knows that they're fighting on the roof, and we have the big uh, we have the big standoff.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: As the troglodytes uh, attempt to kidnap uh, Louison and save him down in the sewer, but they end up kidnapping the butcher's girlfriend instead.
0: Yeah, Mademoiselle Plus.
1: We get a little bit of mistaken identity action. And uh there you go.
0: And then you get an underwater kiss too also because of the uh oh, the flooding sweet. of the of the room which was you uh, know I have to say the strangest Talk about that, yeah. the strangest way to try to escape when people are pursuing you they they go oh I know what I'll do they they end up hiding in the bathroom and the only way out is the one door and so what what he comes up with is this let's flood the bathroom fill it all the way up so that when they burst through um, we, you know, all the water will wash out, and we'll be able to to get out. And <laughs> I guess it does work. But luckily, they the, they opened the door because I mean they pretty much almost drowned in this room. But uh, yeah, it's just it just again speaks to kind of the peculiar way that people think in this world, and just the um, the uh, I mean it's it's a it's a very in a in a weird way fits within kind of that Rube Goldberg esque types of suicide attempts that uh, Aurora was trying to do, because this is a, a very odd way to escape this room when people are at the door, although it's effective.
1: Absolutely. And and it ends up, you know, providing the set for the final standoff. You know, we've already talked about the death of our, of the butcher, but one of the things that was a result of filling the room with water is that the floor gives out in the bathroom. And one, what we end up with is Three of the of the ruffians, the butcher and his and two of his hench people, uh, on the ground in the floor below, and we have uh, Julie and Louison up above, perched on the edge of the bathroom wall, sort of on the toilet and on the edge of the wall, and it makes for one of the most interesting compositions, I think, in the film. In a film full of interesting compositions, is we have these five people on screen, and uh, they fit so perfectly in this in this shell of a, of an apartment complex. It's just a really interesting set for the final standoff.
0: It's it, it. Yeah, you're right. It works very well in context of this crazy world that they've created where everything really is completely falling apart now. And it's just this, this very big mess that's going on. Um, that, uh, yeah, it just, it fits very well within the context of the, of the story here. Absolutely.
1: Uh, who else excites you in this film anybody else you want to um
0: well i i mean the 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 talent they're all great I think everyone is perfect um in their roles the um the postman i gotta say he is one serious spitter he's he hawks a loogie at that <laughs> at that picture and just shatters the glass <laughs> <What> was <this? laughs> that was so strange weird yep yeah. um but i mean they, they i think they're all great they all work really well but the only other one i was going to point out was that uh mark caro one of the two directors actually appears as one of the the troglodytes
1: yes he does as uh who is he
0: he's fox, fox yeah so uh, i have a hard yeah. time keeping all of them straight as to who is who they just kind of all the, become the troglodytes but uh yeah, the only one somewhere. i think
1: we hear by name right is uh tourneur the one who shot.
0: The one who's dead. Shot dead, yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, they introduce uh, themselves. They they go through that whole thing. Where oh, they all, you're right. They all introduce themselves, but they say it so quick and they're all dressed the same. I just can't remember which one's which.
1: Yeah, no, you're right. That's a good point. It is, uh, overall, it's fantastic. You know, one of the things that was interesting, you, you know, we, uh, in our conversation uh, with Cameron, you know, she mentions the the relationship between men and women in this film and and um, sort of on display in the sort of French um, the French cultural uh, norm uh, that 's on display in post apocalyptic uh, delicatessen uh, what 's your what 's your thought on that We have two sequences that I think are particularly important one is the is, is the musical sex scene uh, which I, I think is just an a sort of nice frivolous display of sex um, that ends up not being particularly offensive but then we have the the physicality between the um, you know Julie and a couple of different men in her life.
0: Yeah. It is pretty interesting. I mean, it, it uh, uh, I don't know if it, uh, it, you know, I don't know what they're, uh, if they're trying to say anything big or anything, but definitely the, uh, as Cameron pointed out, the, the postman certainly is a little more handsy with, uh, with Julie than, uh, than, you know, a lot of people may be. There's, he certainly seems to, have that sense of ownership about her that, uh, you know, I don't know there's, there's almost a sense of that kind of, uh, you know, those, those relationships in films from the, from like the, the forties and fifties, kind of the crime thrillers where you have those characters who, who tend to feel a little bit more like they own the women. The postman certainly plays that way. Um, And then, of course, there's the the relationship between her and her father, who she clearly uh, doesn't like very much. But she hits this point where, uh, because he's not going to uh, stop his pursuit to kill Louison, she uh, tells him she hates him. He slaps her, which is, I think, a a very strong moment. That apparently was uh, kind of an improvised bit that they kind of talked to Jean-Claude Dreyfus about uh, doing, and nobody else knew um, that that was going to happen certainly not uh Marie lore uh when uh that happened so that's a completely genuine reaction it's but it's painful to watch and it's just coming from the antagonist i guess you could say it's just one more reason to hate him but it certainly feels very uh very dark and frightening in this world uh that you know already is kind of a, a you know pretty scary world but these are moments that are just genuine human moments that just feel very uncomfortable
1: that that i think is I, I that's the the moment i was thinking of too that that it is it ends up being one of the most uh, terrifying moments in a in a film about terrifying moments just because it is human um uh, it it's the one that uh, that that brings us back to sort of our reality
0: yeah absolutely
1: uh, any other uh, any other functions you want to talk about before we uh, dive into how it did?
0: Well, you did you did mention the uh, the wonderful bit on the bed, and I just have to say uh, that is uh, well, I mean, geez, the trailer when they did release it over here was that scene basically. I mean, that's all they basically played, which I think was very funny and also spoke to well, one a sense of um, a foreign film speaking to a foreign audience. It's very easy to enjoy. Uh, just a, a fantastic sequence like that you don 't have any language you don 't have to understand what it is that uh, there 's no words being spoken it 's just this this beautiful rhythmic scene of how everybody kind of comes together between the uh, the sex and the uh, the painting and the knitting and the uh, pumping of the bike tires and the making of these little uh, cow toys. Uh, the rug beating, cello practice, everything just comes together so beautifully to to just kind of create the flow of that sequence. It's so wonderful. And then I think the uh, the follow up to that, which I think could have turned a little more um, a little more uh, lascivious, but doesn't, is when Louison is asked by uh, the mistress to go. Uh, fix her squeaky springs and he goes in there and you've got this beautiful, it's almost like a dance as this kind of like Hawaiian luau music is playing on the TV and the two of them are just kind of doing this little bobbing dance as, as they move just back and forth on the bed trying to figure out where the squeak is coming from I, uh, I mean, that just, that just you know, is such a beautiful moment. I have such a joy watching that moment. And it uh, is a great way to kind of take all that, um, that lewd, uh, kind of grimy butcher sex out of, that, uh, out of that bed and turn it into something beautiful, which I thought was great. It's
1: really charming, but so much of that charm comes from, uh, you know, Louis Saint-Dominique Pignon's face. Mm -hmm. in that sequence his curiosity around really uncovering the squeak the source of the squeak uh, and that discomfort that sort of awkward discomfort that he brings to that sequence is i think really really great that was the one when i first saw this film and i had some buddies in high school we all saw this film and and it it was the one where we we would sort of bounce together you know anytime we found ourselves sitting on someone else's bed we would start (laughs) bouncing like that and kind of leaning to one side right right (laughs) because we were so funny You guys were awesome. Oh, funny.
0: Good stuff. Uh, And then the last little bit I was going to say is uh, the magic of the opening credits. This is something that uh, uh, Junet certainly has uh, continued a few more times like in Amélie. Just this beautiful way that they did the opening credits where everybody's credit was on a prop in this in this room and just kind of and it all kind of fit within the context of who uh, their department and what they did which i always found so magical and i guess they used a, a motion control camera to kind of move through this elaborate setup of all these props in this uh in this location as they kind of went through found the name went on to the next one found the name uh i just i found that just just magical to watch and I, I don't know if I don't know how true it is, but uh, I did hear that this was one of the first uses of uh, motion control like that. So, how did uh, how this one do? Um, this film did uh, pretty well for itself. I couldn't find. Um, well, I did find what it cost uh, budget-wise in euros. I have no idea how that kind of correlates. Uh, I don't know if these euros or uh, have been modified or anything. So I didn't put them into our chart, but I did find that it cost 3.8 million euros to make. And the European box office for it was 13.7 million euros. So it, it did really well for itself over there in, in Europe, over here in the States. um, It ended up making one point, almost uh, $1.8 million uh, adjusted. That would be uh, well, it's not a huge change, about uh, almost $3 million domestically. So it's not a ton of money. It was a very kind of a quirky little uh, little independent foreign film. And uh, I think that it uh, certainly found its mark here. It made its money back. And uh, I'm certainly glad that uh, that I got to enjoy it. And it did well for itself in the award circuit, too. The, the César Awards over in France, kind of our, their Oscars, it won Best Editing, Best Film Work, Best Production Design, Best Writing. And so, um, yeah, I think it was, a, it was a nice surprise for the French who weren't used to this sort of film.
1: I say we rank it. Let's do it. Head over to flickchart.com slash reel, and you can check out our list of our favorite films. And, uh, well, all our films, you can see how we did, how we ranked them, and uh, see if our favorite uh, stack lightens up with your fa- lacks up.
0: Yeah. <laughs>
1: That's what happens when we record in the morning. I'm just not quite ready for that. My mouth is not ready for the day.
0: Coffee, uh, coffee, more coffee. See
1: if see if your favorite films line up with our favorite films. And uh, let's see, what do you think? I feel pretty good about this one.
0: I do too. I, I would say, let's see if it ends up in the, gosh, you think it could go for the top 20?
1: I was going to say top 20.
0: Let's, let's do top out. 20. All right. Uh, all right. First up, Delicatessen or Kind Hearts and Coronets?
1: Oh, Delicatessen.
0: Yes. We love you, Alec Guinness, but Delicatessen. Ooh, Delicatessen or 12 Monkeys. Delicatessen for me. I actually think I would agree with you on that one. Delicatessen or The World's End. I think I'm still Delicatessen, though.
1: I think I am, too, but it's getting more difficult.
0: It is getting really tough here. Oh, Delicatessen or Brazil.
1: See, I knew this was going to happen. I knew it. And you know what? I'm going to say delicatessen.
0: I know. <gasps> and I'm going to say Brazil.
2: Oh.
0: I know. I know. On a
1: one to, one to ten, where are you for Brazil? Like one being Brazil, ten being I'm on a one.
0: Man.
1: Okay. I'm going to give it to you because I'm about an eight.
0: Okay. All right. Delicatessen or up in the air? delicatessen yeah delicatessen i think so delicatessen or time bandits delicatessen i think i'm delicatessen here yeah delicatessen or brazil again no back to brazil i guess it's a
1: how do we do that
0: (laughs) uh i don't know well sometimes if you uh um depending on you know the the number of films in there it'll end up back at the same film
1: well i give it the same
0: well there we are number 13 out of 171. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, it just kind of jumped right up there. That is great. Feels really good. It feels good. I feel good
1: about What that. a treat. I am so glad. And how we could have a movie that would sneak up to number 13 and have never... I don't think either of us have ever thought to put Delicatessen on our list of films. I think going into our planning all the way out to 2020, I don't think Delicatessen's on there.
0: It hasn't been, which is a shame. So thank you, Cameron Ryan, for making us talk about it because we certainly uh, certainly enjoyed it.
1: Awesome movie. I'm so glad it's on the list. Andy, where do we go from here? This was a nice little break after Alec Guinness, but we start a new thing.
0: We're going to do a mystery series, Pete. This is, uh, <gasps> this is going to be kind of a, a fun little game for us and for our listeners. Oh, I like this. Tell me more. Well, we're going to talk about four films, and there is a common thread between all four of them. And uh, well, there may be more than one common thread, but there's one specific common thread that we are uh, that we are thinking of. And what we're going to do <laughs> week four, when we have uh, when that fourth episode goes out, we're going to allow people to uh, to comment on Facebook or Twitter and uh, try to guess what uh, what the thread is. And the first person who gets it is going to win a fantastic shirt. Oh, how nice! more shirts yeah it'll be kind of the the last uh, last of the shirts because those are kind of a. Uh,
1: that's it they're done yeah
0: they're well
1: this uh, this is very exciting i'm i and and to be clear it is it is the thing as andy said the thing we're thinking of you can't just make up a thing can't come up with a different thing you gotta guess the thing we're thinking.
0: Of. Yeah, I should say we think there's only one connection between all four of these. films. <laughs> that's what we're going for. If you come up with something else, that's great. Pat on the back. But the one thing that we're thinking of is what you have to guess.
1: <laughs> excellent, excellent, excellent. Well, I'm pretty excited about this one. I this is uh, this is going to be a fun one.
0: Yeah, it'll be Can't fun. To see what we're we're going to have uh, to really kind of jump in and think about this.
1: Rather than, you know, like we do every week, just just <laughs> swing throw crap on the wall. <laughs> hey,
0: it's worked for three years.
1: <laughs> All right, my man, I gotta go get some coffee.
0: Alright, I gotta go get some steak.
1: is a two star and I'm only doing I'm doing it just as a representative sample this is the newest review for this film on Amazon and it continues our thread of really insightful uh, Amazon reviews and I think it captures the truth of the film uh, although I'm not sure that the description of the the actual review lines up with the star rating but I would agree with this review it is from Donna from two days ago. Weird and gross. Man. And that is all. And I agree with both of those things, although I would put many more stars
0: after it. <laughs> I think she uses the same editor that... Uh, the, other, <laughs> the, her last the other series. Yeah. Uh, so I'm cheating. I'm doing two reviews. The first one... It, and I'm just doing this because it's just so silly. It's by Paul A. Girtson who says, "Please delete ri- my review. I did not like this movie and changed my mind about providing a review. How do I delete it?" <laughs> <laughs> you just don't start writing a review. You don't. Paul. You
1: don't start writing. Yeah. My you keep. Goodness. You stop writing. Stop right now. But just the, stop typing.
0: But the other one is a one star by Doctor Who. What, where? Cardinal Bound, Free of the Mountains. I just, you know, you gotta <laughs> go for somebody who puts that into giving their name. Uh, What too abstract for this man's tastes Based on the reviews This would be a funny movie that involved Some degree of cannibalism However it turns out that the premise The topic could provide some dark humor Was wrong Any probability for humor was obscured in the movie itself This resulted from the fact that the movie Tried too hard to be smart and cutting edge It failed with the result Something I just could not even watch For more than a few minutes Yellow light bathing everything No thank you Meat-colored walls. Again, no thanks. Plain, boring story, and too ambitious a concept. Not interested. I would argue that it is too abstract to enjoy unless one is, as that high an opinion of themselves. However, that might just be me.
1: Oh, it might.
0: It just might, Doctor Who. What, we're cardinal bound, free of the mountains?
1: It just might. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh,
0: Okay, we're going to do a little game. I'm going to name a series from season four, and you try to guess how many movies from it were adaptations. Didn't we just do this in season three? We're going to do this one as a speed round. Here we go. Terry Gilliam. The Adventures of Baron Munchausen. Jason Reitman. Labor Day. Comedy by the Brothers Cohen. Oh, brother.
1: Stephen King. Ah! Uh, the Shining. Uh, Cujo. The Dead Zone. App People. Misery. Stand by me. What else did we cover?
0: Oh, you got one more on Audible. Carpenter? Ah, Christine! Christine! you got it. We've covered lots of great movies that started as books, and most of those are on Audible. Books like The Exorcist, Requiem for a Dream, The Bishop's Wife, The Poseidon Adventure, Syriana,
1: Million Dollar Baby, L.A. Confidential, Double Indemnity, Detour, The Thin
0: Man. So many great movies from so many great sources. Producing this podcast is a
1: lot of fun, but takes a lot of time.